Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you again. Uh, I am here uh, today with Brother Neil Knight, um, who's been with us before. Brother Knight, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Um, we are going to study today and discuss uh, a period of uh, time that there is no scriptural account for. Um, and uh, we're going to call it the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament period of time. But before we do that, Brother Knight, um, just welcome and, and uh, sh share anything new going on in your life. I know you've maybe introduced yourself in a previous podcast, but, uh, but tell us about you and, and what's going on. Well, uh, I don't know that there's a, a lot new, really, since uh, whenever it was we talked. Yeah. Um, uh, Six months, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if it's, I think we probably had our brand new little baby, well, grandbaby that's right. boy. That's right, yeah. Um, who's, who's now amazing, <laughs> like his five-year-old sister. And, that's cool. Um, I'm getting shoulder replacement surgery tomorrow. It's tomorrow, that's <laughs> it's right. It's tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you for doing which this. Which is why we're doing this tonight. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, I'm, I'm, things are things are going well. Good, yeah. good. Well, it's good to be with you again. Um, I'm grateful for uh, Brother Knight. For those that are listening, um, he he's a humble man and would would not claim um, extraordinary knowledge, but he has extraordinary knowledge. And uh, I'm grateful for his willingness to uh, be with us today to teach us about a period of time that. Uh, I would guess most of us just don't take the time to study. If we're going to study a period of time where, the, where an apostasy exists, it's probably post-Christ to Joseph Smith's time, not the large apostasy there, the great apostasy, we would call it. Um, but, the, but I think it's really important for us to understand between the um, two testaments, um, the, the apostasy that happened there, because I think that sets up the Savior uh, his culture, it sets up uh, the understanding of the people that lived around him. Um, it helps us understand uh, the epistles and the, the things that uh, Paul and, and the other apostles would have been dealing with, um, the challenges of the people at the time, um, because there was so much that happened during that maybe 400-year period. So today's going to be a little different. I'm not going to banter much, uh, share m many thoughts, hopefully. Uh, my goal is to just ask Brother Knight to clarify as he teaches and, and whatnot today. So um, so it'll be a little different, but uh, hopefully hopefully my questions are the questions that those listening might have. Um, and uh, again, we, we created a Facebook page for the podcast. So if you have additional questions uh, and you're listening out there, things that come up that I didn't ask or we didn't get here, uh, jump on the podcast um, uh, Facebook page and let's get those questions there. And I'll make sure Brother Knight is a part of answering those. That uh, Facebook page is the Come Follow Him podcast group um, page. So if you put all that in quotes, Come Follow Him podcast group, 
uh, on Facebook, you'll find that. And uh, we'd love to connect with you and, and answer your questions if we can find them. So with that, let's just jump in. This this might be 45 minutes. It might be an hour and a half. might be four hours. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to let it run. So Well, thank you. And uh, as far as the, the questions that they might submit on Facebook, yeah. that would be awesome yeah. um, to have more questions come in. But also... If I say something that is incorrect, and you can you can give me a good citation, you know, for, I would love to be corrected. Yeah. And so, so um, you know, I'm asking for it, I guess, when I say that. But, but well, uh, I, help I, me out. Yeah, and I might add to that. You know, Brother Knight, uh, differently than the rest of us, when we when we sit down to do podcasts, we we've taught most of the uh, the scriptures so many times that most of us take an hour or two to kind of bone up on what we're looking at and and we review what we want to talk about, find relevant things, and then we, we meet together and we record episodes. Um, Brother Knight has has wanted about a month to, to prepare this and, and to go back through some research that he's done in the past. So so it's very researched. It's not just, you know, what he thinks. Uh, so so again, we'd, we'd love those comments and, and citations, especially if you can send them through when they come through. Yeah, that would be great. I would appreciate the help. Yeah. Just a couple of things that uh, comments quickly on, sure. on what you said in your introduction. Uh, you said no scriptures that cover this time period, and and in our scriptures that's true. Yeah. Um, but there are some extra biblical, right? Uh, apocryphal sure. stuff. Uh, the, the two books of the Maccabees and some other right. things that were written during this time period, um, and some uh, churches have them as their scriptures, sure. or at least have them included in their books, and they're you know, they're called yeah, yeah. extra can canonical. But so, what would we call them as uh, members of the church? Would would they be historical accounts, or, or do we view them as? Uh, scripture of sort, but not canonized. Yeah, you know when when Joseph Smith was doing his translation of the of the Old Testament, well, the book, the Bible, but the Old Testament, he came to those because they were in the Bible that he had. Sure. And he asked about it, and I don't remember if it's section sixty-one or two or somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't prepare to answer that question. <laughs> um, the the Lord says, uh, you know, they're profitable. Yeah. Study them. You know, with inspiration, there's truth there. Yeah. And so we, w we don't really consider them scripture. They would be more historical. That's how a lot of uh, Christians look at them yeah. for the most part is, is scriptural. And they reflect at least uh, a viewpoint that was current at the time. So as far as historical documents, they're actually pretty valuable. Yeah, sure. It, yeah, and I think that's important clarification. Thank you for making it that, that there is some historical record, um, even, even righteous people uh, or attempting to be righteous at the time, right? R recording their experiences and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, that's important. And the other thing that you said that, that kind of caught my attention was uh, apostasy. And uh, um, and this was a time of apostasy. Sure. Um, there were no prophets uh, that we know of working among the people. But, but it's different than the great apostasy after the New Testament because after the New Testament, we, we don't have any... Uh, record of authorized priesthood holders performing any ordinances. Oh, but we do have. But we do have oh. during that time because, and here's the, the reasoning for it, when Christ comes, the temple is still his father's house. Sure. And he is still um, going there for those ordinances. Right. There, there were people functioning within the priesthood, and, John the Baptist being yeah, one, right? That, right. So the priesthood was functional, if not led by a prophet, and it was like we might definitely say. At, at times led by very unlike a prophet. Yeah, 
but um, but you know it, it was not a total um, blackout um, between uh, the Old and the New Testaments, and really it wasn't between the end of the New Testament and the restoration of the gospel either. Mm -hmm. There were section ten talks about um, the gospel coming forward and and his church coming forward, mm -hmm. not to destroy his church, and this is before. I'm, I'm gonna, without going there, yeah. this is a little bit hard yeah, to, no. to look at, but it's in section 10. He says, I'm going to bring forth the Book of Mormon, not to destroy the truth that people already have, but to add to it. Yeah. And, and for this generation, I'm going to restore my church, not to destroy my church, mm -hmm. meaning the, the, people who are not a part of his the church, because the church isn't even there yet, right, but yeah. just good, righteous people, right. but to add to what they have. Yeah. And so it was, it was more of a blackout from New Testament to... to uh, to you know the restoration of the gospel, but in both cases you you had good people doing the best they could with what they had. So would it be fair to say that the apostasy between I said apostasy again the the time period between Malachi and Matthew um, priesthood was functional at, and at and a level at a at a level. Yeah. Um, though there may not have been a prophet leading the people post Christ sixty ish years um, that priesthood goes away, though there are righteous people. Is that a fair way to analyze that? Yeah, yeah, I, in, I, I in, in broad terms. Yeah, it might have taken a little bit longer for, for priesthood to, to have out. been all gone, but right. but yeah, basically. Okay, okay. And then, and then we don't have anybody that's doing ordinances with priesthood authority right. after that. So. Right, yeah, great. Well, I thought it would be good to just kind of summarize the end of the story from the Old Testament before we dive into the, the transition sure. period. And so at the end of the Old Testament, uh, the, the Persians or the Mede slash Persians are in charge. Darius has allowed Jews to go back to rebuild right. the, the wall, to rebuild the temple. Most of the Jews that are in Babylon are, don't go back. Right. Most of them stay there. Uh, we've also had other groups that have fled from the area, a large group that went down into Egypt. Right. Uh, southern Egypt, and they were part of the defense of Egypt down there, even built a temple. Hmm. And then, then there was another sizable group that went north up to kind of Turkey today. Hmm. Um, and so we have, this is called the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews, and we've got them in Babylon. And this is Lehi's time? Yeah. Yeah Lehi, yeah, Lehi would be a group that was left at that point. Yeah, in fact, after Lehi left, a, a lot of them, and they took uh, Jeremiah with them that went down to Egypt. There have right. been some before, but... So we end up with a big Jewish population in Egypt um, can, can in I, Christ's time. Yeah, great. Can I ask you to clarify just something we talked before we hit record on this, that um, I think it's important to understand the captivities. When we get to the end of um, maybe Chronicles, Kings and Chronicles, um, we're kind of at the end of the biblical story of the Old Testament, and then we start picking up prophets uh, who are speaking of a captivity, and I think the general layperson might get confused in when they're being captive and when they're, how many captivities are there. Um, and, and I think it's probably important to discuss the split of the uh, tribes, uh, those that were taken north, and uh, the captivity as a separate event, right? Um, so teach us just generally and broad brush that um, to help us understand time frames for that. Yeah. So after Solomon, uh, Israel splits into two, the kingdom of Israel in the north, Judah in the south, the ten tribes in the north, two in the south. That's seven, seven Well, something? more like 900-something. Okay. Okay. Um, but in 722-ish, 
uh, Assyria comes in and they carry off those ten tribes. Okay. They, they just deport the people. They just and they move other people in. Now they don't get a hundred percent of all of those people sure. there. There are some Jews that still remain behind, and, and that we're becomes talking the ten tribes. Yeah, got yeah. Taken okay. And, and those Jews that remained in that northern kingdom are important later on when we start talking about the Samaritans. Right. Okay. Um, and, and then 609 or 10, somewhere in there, um, Babylon comes along and they take people like Ezekiel and Daniel, some of the sure. upper crust and, yeah. and the younger ones, you know, to educate them and get them assimilated into, into their culture and, and their government and so on. They're still allowing the Jews to kind of live in Jerusalem and do their thing, but every, under, yeah. under uh, Babylonian kind of pressures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with uh, the, the Babylonians are definitely in charge. There's a king there, yeah. or a couple of kings along the way, but but Babylon's in charge. Well, one of those kings decides to doesn't like being beholden to to Babylon, and so he tries to get uh, an alliance with Egypt. And Babylon hears about it, and they come in, and they just they level the walls, they destroy yeah. the temple, yeah. and they carry them off to. To Babylon, and that's after Lehi and his family have left in around 600. Yeah, good. And right. so the, the, this destruction we're talking about is around 586 BC. Okay. Yep. And uh, and they're there for about 70 years. Uh, in that mean in time, uh, you've got uh, the, the Persians that come in, and uh, Babylon is no longer the power. It's the Medes and the Persians together, and and Cyrus allows the people to come back. So Persian king. So Babylonian king takes them all captive. Yeah. Persian king comes in, takes over Babylon. Persian king allows Nehemiah, um, that that Zerubbabel, group, that, Ezra, yep, that yeah. group to come back seventy years later. So there's this the captivity that we're really talking about through most of the Old Testament is that captivity. Though we might say that there was some form of captivity when the uh, ten tribes were taken north and taken yeah. taken away from their promised land. Yeah, and captivity can can mean they stay in place, but they're they're being controlled sure. and, and dominated. Yeah, but great. We often talk about captivity, like Babylonian captivity, is where they were taken right. there. So. Yeah, and that really only happens once. Yeah, uh, and, and it, for that seventy year period, and then we go, uh, we read all the prophetic experiences leading up to that, and then a few uh, post that, right, with, with Nehemiah coming back and. Yeah. And, and those coming back. And, and, and you had mentioned uh, before we hit record as well that Nehemiah is actually, uh, and Ezra maybe, uh, are actually post-Malachi. Happened a couple of, maybe a hundred years after uh, Malachi-ish. Yeah. And, uh, and so that maybe the, the biblical Old Testament uh, accounts aren't necessarily in chronological order. Absolutely. Yeah. Which probably <laughs> makes some confusion happen, yes. right? Yes. That, that, that uh, Nehemiah is coming back to rebuild Jerusalem and well, where, where did Jerusalem go? Why is it, right? It's one of the first books we read of the prophets, right? And then you have all these prophets talking about it's going to be destroyed yeah. and it has been destroyed. Yeah, yeah. so, so there's, there may be some confusion on, as to that. And sure. I think that just that much discussion probably clarifies that for us. Okay. So thank you for that. So we have, this is the end of the Old Testament. Persia is in charge and you've got Jews in these different places and the temple and, and so on has been rebuilt. And then you go to Matthew, and when the New Testament opens up, and Matthew, by the way, wasn't the first right. book written in the New Testament, yeah. or even the first of the Gospels. So that's you just know, the first place in the, the book. That's the order of, of the book. So right. when Matthew opens up, it's a Roman world. It's not Persian anymore. In fact, um, it's not just a Roman world, but it's a Roman heavily influenced <laughs> by Greek <Right. laughs> um, thinking and, and, and so on. 
and, and the books of the New Testament were written originally in Greek. And so yeah. what happened? And that's what this roughly 400 years yeah. uh, in between Malachi and Matthew is, uh, is about. Um, and so let's, uh, the, the thing that, that is a turning point is uh, in, the, in the around 320 or so, um, you have Alexander the Great, and he started before that, but it takes him a, a few years to get to our part of the world that we're talking about. And, uh, and he was Macedonian, which is not Greek, but to me it, it, it's right there, it, it's, but it, technically not. Give me, the, give me the location where he started, where he came from. So Macedonia is right above Greece, it's, it's you know, part of that peninsula basically, or right above it. And his father um, basically consolidated the, the Greek city-states into one, and he was the king okay. of, of Greece. And, uh, is Persia still in charge at yeah, the time? Yeah. Farther, in farther fact, away. In fact, some of the great stories in, in Greek history are the conflict with the Persians. Sure. You know, and uh, the Spartans and yeah, okay. and and all of that uh, is the Persians, and they were they were pretty powerful. So Persians would have been in in charge for roughly a hundred years. Does that sound about right? Is it longer uh, than that? Over the Jews. Yeah. From uh, yeah yeah about a hundred years. Okay. And then uh, Alexander the Great comes. Uh, he was young. He, he was 33 when he died. Oh, wow. And he died. A, wow. Yeah. And in about mm. 11 years, he conquered the biggest empire that had existed up to that point. Wow. Greece uh, and, and a little north of that and all of the you know, mm. Middle East and down into Africa, North Africa, mm. Egypt, and mm -hmm. clear over uh, eastward to India wow. even. Into Asia? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. so... Um, you know, very, very powerful, very uh, dynamic uh, Alexander the Great. Yeah. He, in some ways, at least, he was great. Other ways, right. he was not a very nice person. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, but he did this. One of the things that was really significant, and well, I mean, he does this and then he dies. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that he started and his successors kind of continued was his mission wasn't just to conquer. It was to spread mm. Greek culture. Mm. And, and we call this Hellenism. I'll come back to why okay. uh, we, we, it's called Hellenism instead is of Greekism. Spreading of Greek culture is yeah. Hellenism. Okay. Yeah. But he, he instituted in different parts of uh, this empire of his um, cities, Greek cities, based on the Greek plan um, with Greek education and a Greek amphitheater and sure. Greek uh, gymnasium. Mm -hmm. and. And uh, his successors did some of the same thing. Alexandria in Egypt became one of the great cities of the ancient world. And Alexander actually said, let's, let's have one of those cities right here. Oh, wow. and, uh, and, by the, and by the way, looking ahead, we have a, a large a Jewish population that ends up in Alexandria. Mm. Um, so, and, and so this, this planted this Greek influence throughout this widespread mm. empire. Mm. Uh, now, Hel why do we call it Hellenism? Um, the Greek word for, for Greece is Hellas, and they call themselves Hellenes, the okay. people, and because their founding father in, in their mythical you know, story is a, a man named Helen, okay. um, which doesn't sound like a guy's name nope. to us, but <laughs> it was then. And the quick story is that Zeus got, got angry mm. at humans and decides uh, to end the Bronze, Bronze Age with a flood. Mm. And Prometheus, mm -hmm. he's the one that introduced fire, you sure. know, to humans. Right. Prometheus goes and warns his son Deucalion, okay. 
that there's a flood coming and build a a box, a, an ark-like okay. thing, to, pre to preserve himself and his wife. And they do, and they survive. And when they come out, they go, how are we going to start over again? And so they go to an oracle mm -hmm. to get, like, prophetic, you know, direction. And they're told to throw their mother's bones over their shoulders. Wow. They understand. We, we hear that, we go, that's that kind of creepy. macabre. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they understand mother to mean the earth oh. and the, the, your mother's bones to be stones, oh. rocks. And okay. so they, they would pick them up and they'd toss them over their shoulders. Oh. And these stones that they tossed over their shoulders morphed into babies, people. Oh. Mm. And the first one that Deucalion tossed over his shoulder was Helen. Oh. And he became the father of the Greeks. Wow. So Hellenism is the, this Greek influence, and it was their dress, it was their philosophy. Mm. Um, and philosophy at that point included all of the sciences that we now have. Yeah. Um, way before they broke into specialization, it was their religion. Well, there was the... the standard Greco-Roman stuff, that wasn't the philosophy, sure. but that was part of their culture. Sure. Um, so, just just on, on that, before we bounce away from it, yeah. um, <clears throat> is it fair to say then that, uh, and this is me being very simple, that the Greek explanation for the Noah flood is that story that you just told us, of that, that, that kind of a flood experience? It, it certainly has parallels, and yeah. I, I don't know that I'm qualified to, well enough to, to say, you know, that's a reflection of what actually happened, you know. Yeah. The Bible story is the correct one and this is the Greek version of Sure. I, I, yeah, yeah right. I, it's probably more complicated than okay. that. But, okay. but yeah. yeah, generally that, yeah, just the Greek understanding of how we became, how yeah. we came about. It's real similar. It's similar in that way. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's helpful. So we've got the Persian people who took over. Um, 400-ish um, BC, and uh, roughly 100 years later, um, we've got the Greek people coming in. What did we, Before we go too deep into the Greek uh, concepts, um, was there much taken away from the Persian captivity, that, that experience from, with the Persians? Is there much that uh, the Jewish people would have kept uh, taking back down into, into their homeland? When so they when they went back home, I don't... Uh Nothing that we know of. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I have never. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have okay. an answer for that. Okay. You know, it, it, you'd think it would be unavoidable, but I don't know what it is. Sure. I will say this: it's it's during that period when they're off in Babylon mm -hmm. that we start to see synagogues. Okay. They don't have the temple okay. to go to worship. They don't have a place. Yeah. And so when they're cast out and and they. They, they have to have a place, yeah. and so synagogues start oh, to develop them. So they're them. creating a space yeah. without it being the temple necessarily. Yeah. Now, some scholars think that even before the dispersion that there were some, like, proto-synagogues. Okay. Um, but, mm. uh, that's interesting. But though. that's, but we're talking about, you know, things that showed up in the New Testament that sure. weren't in the old, that synagogue is, yeah, is one of those. So that becomes uh, part of the Babylonian-Persian yeah, that's Captivity. good. I like that because I know that there's a lot of Greek that comes in to the Jewish culture yeah. um, because of the, the length of time. Maybe speak about that. So the length of time that the Greeks are now in charge is a pretty significant period. So Greek a direct influence is from, you know, like 320-ish to, uh, well, there's a Jewish rebellion uh, in the 160s. Okay. Um, and so 160 years. Yeah. 
give or take, yeah. a decade or two. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's pretty lengthy. Yeah. And again, we were talking before we hit record that, that, that that's a long time. You know, we, we, we can speak about that time frame fairly quickly. Um, but even 160 years ago from today puts us into the 1840s. That, that's, a, that's a long time back. And if we're talking the whole gap between Malachi and Matthew, we're talking 400 years, which puts us into the 1600s. Um, and there's a lot of things that change in that big period of time. And even even for us, there have been a lot of things that change. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that if a if a uh, uh, pilgrim pilgrim, thank you, pioneer was coming to my head. I knew it wasn't a pioneer. <laughs> a pilgrim uh, fell asleep in in his day and woke up in ours. It'd be a big it'd be a big shift. Yeah. Culturally, a lot of changes. Yeah. Of course, the rate of change is probably accelerated, but still, the idea sure, yeah. is 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 still true. Yeah. And and so that's what we're kind of trying to do is to fill that gap a little bit. I love that. So Alexander comes in, he dies, um, and he doesn't leave a successor. And so he has um, three or four generals, and they say, who's your successor? And one, one version of the story is, he says, the strongest, mm. and then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes a few years for the dust to settle. It technically never really does when you have ambitious people with armies. Yeah. But um, then you get three parts to, to his kingdom. And the, the parts that matter to us would be the, um, the, the Seleucids, okay. and, uh, which is um, kind of um, you know, Persia, Iran, Syria. And, and they start out with uh, control in Jerusalem and along in there. And the, the Ptolemies... Okay. Starts with PT, but the Ptolemies are, are Egypt, and they they move up into the area of, of Palestine and Jerusalem. That's and, more of the southern region. Yeah, and, and the so first say the first group again. Uh, the Seleucids. And is that east? Is that the it's, eastern it's, region? It's um, it's north and east okay. of of Jerusalem, but also at, at times at least includes Jerusalem. Okay. Because the boundaries change. So it's kind of the Babylonian area. Uh, yeah. If you have the old, the Babylonian, the old Babylonian Assyrian okay. Okay. area. Got it. But but way beyond, clear yeah. over to India. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, and because of the location of Israel and and Jerusalem, it's sort of this land bridge between these continents. Sure. And and so conquering armies are always going back and forth, and commerce is mm -hmm. always going back and mm -hmm. forth. It was a valuable piece of, a property. And um, and so under under Greek influence, uh, you you start to see um, this meeting between Judaism, the Jewish faith, the Jewish people, and Hellenism, mm -hmm. Greek culture, Greek learning, and all of that mm -hmm. that, that goes together. Um, and when you have that, you're going to have this spectrum of how people respond to that. And so within Judaism, you have some people that they accept it. They open themselves to it. Yeah. And they're still Jews, and they would still maybe even be faithful Jews, um, but they start to have these other ideas influence how they view Judaism. Mm -hmm. um, the great example before Christ was a guy named Philo. He was an Alexandrian Jew uh, philosopher, and he starts to merge um, mostly the philosophy of Plato or Platonism okay. um, with with the, the the scriptures with Torah, and um, one of the, the 
and, and, and it, just real quick, I don't want to get heavy into to Plato and the forms, sure. but, but Plato and, and others in, in the ancient world felt that if something was going to be perfect, it had to be non-material, non-corporeal. Okay. And is that because anything material could be changed, modified, age, all those things? Die, yeah. be, be divided, and if, if something is perfect, and it changes, it's no longer perfect. Yeah. Mm. And if it changes, it it, it, it can't be perfect. Right. It, if it, it's either perfect and always has been, always will be, and, and therefore it has to be immaterial. Yeah. And so God yeah. is perfect. Can't be material. He has to be immaterial. Yeah. But, and, and maybe we see some, some correlations there. Maybe you're going to come to this down the road, but correlations to how um, in, our, in our day, um, we see people saying, as we gain more knowledge, as we gain more understanding of the cultures and things around us, um, we limit what God's able to do um, because we say things like, because He's perfect, nothing's ever going to change. And so if a practice or a policy changes in the church, it ruffles feathers and people say, wait a minute, how is God perfect and we're now doing something different than we did 10 weeks ago? Um, and, and, and not recognizing that um, the change doesn't necessarily mean God is different or imperfect, um, but maybe our cultural understanding of things is now advanced enough that God can give us the next step or the next piece. Or our fair? cultural circumstances required X before a hundred years ago, and they require Y right. now. Yeah. There are some things that are are not changing. Sure. The core things don't change. We call those doctrine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know the peripheral kinds of how do we. How do we um, implement those doctrines in our lives? Those are policies, yeah. and those can change. Right. So, just a, maybe a generic uh, um, way to understand that might be: Moses comes down from the hill, uh, from the mountain, right, and, and uh, has ten commandments. And those ten commandments are ten very specific laws. Um, in order to understand how to live those laws more fully, he then breaks those things down into six hundred and thirteen specific instructions that at some point in the future, many of, most of, are done away with because the cultural understanding, uh, the spiritual capacity of the people is advanced enough that it's no longer needed. Eating bacon, for example, would have been wrong during Moses' time, but Christ, having fulfilled the law, would have allowed for, for pigs to be touched and for bacon to be eaten again. That's why we, we today eat pork, right? Yeah. So in a similar way, God didn't change our capacity to understand God and become more like Him changed, and so He allows for our understanding to grow and uh, policies to be different. Yeah. Is that, is that a yeah. super sophomoric way of looking at it? Oh, well, I, it, probably at least a junior. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. Thanks. Um, one of the, the great uh, achievements that came out of this meeting of Hellenism and, and Judaism is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, okay. or, or the Torah, and then later the, the prophets and so, so on. So you've said Torah a couple times. Explain that to us. Um, you, you connect and get to Scripture, and, and I think today in our modern world we see the Torah as a different book of Scripture that uh, the Jewish people might believe, and, and help us understand how it's similar, what differences, if any, there might be. Well, as I understand it, the Torah it's specifically, in its, in its truest um, meaning, refers to the first five books, okay. the Law of Moses. Okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, that's the law. Right. And um, 
you know, the Old Testament's divided into the law and the prophets and the history and the poetry, those, sure. those different sections. Right. And so, but I've also seen it, the word Torah refer to um, the rest of those as well. Mm. Oh, okay. The, the, the poetry books like uh, Psalms okay. and, and Ecclesiastics and, and, and uh, the history books like... Um, Kings. Kings and Chronicles right. and, and all, and then the, the prophets. Okay. And so this, this translation, it was the Torah first, the first five books first. And do we know about when yeah, that translation happened? Yeah, in, in the, the late 200s, okay. meaning like the, the, the low 200s. Okay, so a small number. Yeah, yeah. So Alexander the Great comes in 320-ish. Yeah. 11 years, he's out. Is that right? He's, he's reigned for kind of 11 years? He, yeah, he has this, he takes him 11 years to conquer this empire, and about the time he finishes, he dies. He dies. So then we've got another maybe 80 years-ish to get to when the Torah was then translated? Uh, more, yeah, yeah, probably like 80 years, give okay. or take. So the Torah is being translated then into Greek. And it, it, so there's, the story is, and there's different versions of this, but the story is that um, the, the Ptolemaic king, okay. and generally their names were Ptolemy. Okay. And, um, and where is that? Egypt. That, that southern part? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And right. in Alexandria, he's collecting this library. And the library at Alexandria was one of the amazing things in the ancient world. Huh. Um, and he wanted to add uh, the Greek, excuse me, the Jewish um, religious text to his library. Okay. And it had been initially written in Hebrew. Hebrew, yeah. Got it. And, and some of the later ones, Aramaic, because languages change. And, and, and by the way, that's where scribes come from is um, pretty soon you've got these old scriptures written in, in Hebrew, but people have morphed into speaking, you know, part of the family of right. Semitic languages, but it's Aramaic, and they don't really understand scripture, so the scribes are there uh, to help people understand what the, the scriptures translators say. Translators, effectively. Yeah, so we read about scribes in the New Testament. There's some in the Old, but in the New Testament, that's, that's what their role was initially. Okay, that's helpful. Um, but he wants, this king wants uh, the scriptures, uh, the Hebrew scriptures in his library. And so the, the, the story is that uh, there were six from each of the 12 tribes, 72 okay. uh, Jewish scholars that came together, except they didn't come together. They came and then they separated and on their own in 70 days, translated the first five books. Hmm. And when they came back together and compared their translations, they were all identical. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is, this is the story that gives <laughs> credibility. <amazing>. Yeah. <laughs> it gives credibility, you know, to the Septuagint. Sure. Um, Obviously, historians don't take that seriously. It, it wasn't a one-time event. It was it was a process. Sure. Probably the Torah first, and then the others that came after. And it and took decades. Yeah, even. and the Septuagint would have what included in it then. The Septuagint ultimately is what we would basically call the Old Testament. Okay. And and. Um, but first written into Greek. Mm -hmm, yeah. 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 Okay. And and the word Septuagint refers to seventy. Okay. Um, it was 72 uh, of translators, but the Greek word for 72 is less manageable than Septuagint. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> so let's wow, try to keep a, it simple. That's a pretty bad word. Septuagint's not easy. <laughs> um, and so, and there you get it. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, let's talk about the influence of, of Hellenism on the, the Hebrew scriptures yeah. before <laughs> translation and, 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 and then as part of the translation. Uh, I'm, I'm Getting this from a really interesting article by a BYU professor from a few decades ago okay. named Catherine Thomas. And um, 
I'll, I'll kind of summarize. She goes through and, and gives lots of examples from the Old Testament about how God was a person, okay. anthropomorphic, okay. you know, meaning the form of Characters man. Of man right? yeah. yeah, we look like him. He looks like us, and and so he he created men and people in his image. And so okay. his image is that, and so she gives a lot of references in the Old Testament about how that is his finger, a, his a eyes, okay. his all kinds of stuff that Got he's it. anthropomorphic, and of course, with the influence of Hellenism, God, this perfect being, this perfect personage, can't be physical, right? And so you start to see changes um, that that show up in in the Hebrew scriptures that um, are trying to dematerialize God, right. make him more acceptable to the, the science of the day, the best thinking of the day. Well, let me pause you in the, in the conversation there to just see if I'm, if I'm following. This is 300-ish, um, 200-ish, are we now? In the, in the 200s. Early 200s. Well, um, probably that whole... Low, right? Yeah, from, from basically from when... I, I, you could, we could just make it around number three hundred. Okay. Three hundred to two hundred. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're we're in that period of time. We're learning that that God can't actually have physical characteristics. The Greek philosophy would would suggest that. If I fast forward in my mind through Christ's whole life into the apostasy after Christ, it seems to me like that philosophy, that Greek idea, uh, might lend itself to the idea of a Trinity. Um, where where God can't be a man because there were, I know there's a lot of other things that maybe played into that but yeah. but is that is it is that a proof of this shift in thinking I think on some and, small level and I have never this is just me as far as I know I, I've never read anybody else that has said this you know people who know more than I do yeah uh, and so maybe I'm overstating the influence of this but and I'll give a few examples of some of these changes but I think that would you start to start to change with what the scriptures say about the nature of God, who he is and yeah. what he is of, right. that you then open the door for the next step, More changes. for the next domino. Right. And, and you slow, slowly lose who he is. Yeah, and yeah. so I think as valuable as the Septuagint was, and it really was, yeah. the Septuagint enabled the spreading of Christianity. Right. The masses could read it. Because that Greek was the language of the eastern half of the Roman Empire, right, yeah. at least among educated people. Sure. And, and, and so, it, you know, it was a, extremely important and valuable, but it also had these little seeds of... We Twists. Can, we look at yeah. God this way. So just, yeah. a, just a couple of examples. Um, for example, in place of I meaning God, I will dwell in your midst, they substituted, I shall cause you to dwell hmm. in the midst. And so this is, this is um, modifications, this is before translation, sure. modifications in the Hebrew. Um, so hmm. avoiding the idea that God would actually dwell with men. Exodus thirty four twenty four was subtly altered from, quote, to see the face of the Lord to the phrase, to appear before the Lord. Because the Lord couldn't have a face. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and you're not going to see Him. Sure, yeah. So both of those are an attempt to distance and dematerialize God. Now, in the translation, just a, a couple of examples. I'll just do one example for time. Um, Exodus 29, 45, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. 
is in the translation, instead of uh, I will dwell, it is changed in the Septuagint to I shall be called upon mm. Mm. Uh, among the children of Israel, or, yeah, or I shall big, be named. That's a big difference. Yeah. That's a big difference. And so you're, you're taking away, they didn't take it all away. Sure. There, there's still all these other things. Well, and the fact that they're translating to begin with means that they see value in the book, right? That, yeah. they're, that they're recognizing, hey, this is a thing we want to, but they're allowing their influence, their cultural influence, and their maybe even sideways religion um, to, to influence another religious book, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, another way of speaking of a god. It, it's, it's what happens, I think, in the church, unfortunately, sometimes today, and that is that instead of the scriptures being the standard by which we determine truth right. and measure truth, it's other stuff from the outside. It's the, it's the persuasive, compelling, Everybody else's belief, not everybody, it's, yeah. it's never that cut and dried, but you know, that, that's what is around us. And we let, we let the, the trends of the day determine what yeah, is right our, and correct. And culture. so if the church is doing this and everybody's disagreeing, well, the church must be wrong. Right. Otherwise, yeah. everybody would agree and that would make the church right, which is yeah. backwards because prophets are often controversial figures and not approved by right. the, the masses of people. Yeah. So tell us about how the Hellenization of basically every place that uh, the Greeks went um, influenced uh, the Jews just in, in their probably righteous attempt, right? We've, we've talked a little bit earlier about how uh, just because there wasn't a prophet doesn't mean that there weren't people trying to do what they could. Um, give us some indication as to how that maybe influenced their uh, righteous attempts to follow the Lord. Uh, well, yeah, and, and, and we're going to focus more on, you know, Jerusalem and, and that area around sure. Jerusalem, but throughout the diaspora, uh, the dispersed Jews, uh, this Hellenizing influence was happening. We, we talked about Philo in Alexandria, Egypt, right. who I think was probably trying to be a good Jew. He yeah. was just now starting to implement, and other Jews were too, and, and to, to reinterpret almost um, Judaism through... Uh, a, a Platonic lens, yeah. and when you do that, you start to you start to change things. They sure. start to get morphed. Um, what happens in uh, in Jerusalem in in Palestine? Um, Hellenization was more of a city thing, an urban thing, okay. and out in the countryside, not really so much. Um, although you couldn't just get away from it because sure. you know there were the influence was just there, um, but. Um, y y Around 200 um, BC, you get um, a lot of the upper crust, in particular, who who start to adopt Hellenistic um, styles of dress okay. and um, and entertainment. Jerusalem becomes a Greek city okay. that with an amphitheater and a gymnasium, mm -hmm. um, and and you know. In the Maccabees, where where this story is is told, it talks about how even the priests would leave their service in the temple to go to the gymnasium oh, wow. and and participate in the athletic events there. And by the way, mm. um, the the Greek word gymnos, mm -hmm. beginning of gymnasium, means nude. Oh, and so their athletic events were in the nude. Wow. <laughs> and uh, w without going into much detail, um, there were some. Jews that were so caught up in participating fully in Greek culture and going yeah. to the gymnasium 
that their circumcision made them clearly different. Oh. And so they would have a, a surgical reversal of their circumcision, wow. which is essentially the denying of this the covenant, covenant yeah. and this link with God and, wow. and all of that, you know. <clears throat> and so, again, I, I'm hoping as we talk and, and as we think about this that we're also seeing, does that happen with us today? Oh, for sure. Does our culture... Um, for, for at least some of us, become more important to us than our covenants. Well, and, and maybe even our, our learning, right? I, I see it as a, you know, for, for the Hellenization of this these these people, you mentioned that it's kind of an inner city issue or a city issue. And, and I think maybe we can look at our culture and see similar things, right? We, we go to the high, most highly populated places on earth, and uh, they're, they're governed very different. Um, the the much more liberal in the way that they view people and and uh, not good or bad just but different mm -hmm. um, than maybe the the Boise Idaho uh, way of, of viewing things. I, I think you go or, or to the Meridian right, Idaho. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you go to uh, places of, of academia, and that kind of learning is also a lot more ethereal. It's less concrete, less tactile, more. Uh, philosophical, um, and so so I think it's definitely something we see today. It's a it's a cultural, probably problem on Earth, that when you have learning, uh, we set God down and we set Him aside to lean on our own understanding. Yeah, and and we we are definitely not anti-education sure or anti-intellectual. At least the gospel isn't. I'm right. sure there are people who are in in and out of the church, yeah. but. Um, but yeah, you know, woe the learned when they think they are wise, for they hearken not unto the counsels of God, and, right. and their their wisdom is foolishness. Yeah. Uh, so this uh, this starts to to affect um, some of the people okay. in and around Jerusalem, uh, some to a greater degree. Usually, it was the more aristocratic, the yeah. more influential, wealthy families, um, those that. Um, by the way, had uh, had political and religious control. Mm. Um, the temple. Mm. This is this is kind of where the Sadducees come from. The Sadducees. The the term is a reflection of the fact that, in the Old Testament, it was Zadok who was, you know, the the, the son or descendant of uh, of uh, Aaron. You okay. know that the the priesthood comes from. So the high priest is, is supposed to come from that group. Huh. Um, and so the Sadducees. Um, come in there, and those that opposed them, that wanted to be separate from sure. this Hellenization effort, Pharisee, and there's some debate on exactly where that term comes from, what, what it means, but generally it's accepted, it means separate from. Okay. And so the Sadducees are embracing this yeah. Hellenization, the Pharisees are saying, no, 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 we can't do that. Yeah. Kind of an interesting little twist here, that, that makes the Sadducees sound very liberal and open to all kinds of right, things, yeah. and the Pharisees being very conservative. Religiously, the Sadducees were more conservative because huh. they only accepted the first five books. Oh. They didn't accept the prophets and right. so on. The Pharisees, it was the law, the prophets, the his, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. And they, and they almost grabbed everything they could and then held so tightly to it they missed anything new. And then yeah, and they build a fence around what they have. Right. Well, you're, you're talking about the Sadducees. Or yeah, the, yeah. Oh. Both, actually, both of them yeah. kind of do that. Yeah. Um, and so one, one of the distincting, distinctive features uh, of, of the Sadducees, as opposed to the Pharisees, is they didn't believe in the resurrection. Right. 
which is why they were sad, you see, which, which is a way to... <laughs> that, now we'll remember that. Yeah, yeah. We'll never forget. But there's no mention of the resurrection in the first five books. And is that because of the Hellenization of their thinking that God could not have a body and so there would be no... Uh, that that man kind of perspective on God? Possibly. Yeah. I've never made that connection or thought of it that way, but but uh, that would certainly fit. I think for them religiously, it, it was definitely rooted in Scripture. Um, it, that that might have been an influence on how they interpreted it, but the resurrection isn't mentioned until the later books. Sure, right. And so the Pharisees accept those, they accept resurrection. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting.